call my boy Carson. He's he's six. And uh the worst part about traveling around is not getting to be with him. Why? And I called him and he said, Daddy, how much do you love me? I've done my very best to tell him over the phone how much I love him. I tell you better than that, there's times I've called out to my heavenly father. I've said, Daddy, how much do you love me? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why would you love such as me? Why, why would you care? I'll be honest, I can't answer that tonight. I can just tell you he does. Loves me enough that he sent his darling son. March up Calvary's hill and die in my stead and take my place. Become my sin. I say, what a God. What a Savior. You're here tonight and you're not saved. You can be. If you're here tonight and you don't feel love, you are. If you're here tonight and you think you don't matter, you do. And it may not be to anybody sitting in a pew or standing in a pulpit, but you matter to God. I gotta get myself together if I'm gonna preach. One of the writers said, Oh, taste and see. The Lord, He is good. I ain't got no complaints with Him tonight. I find many a complaint with many a thing, but I find nothing wrong with Him. As they brought Him there before uh, uh, the judges and uh, before the crucifixion, they examined Him. They examined him over and over again, and this was always their reply. We find no fault in him. I want to say tonight, there's still no fault in him. You can find fault with me, you can find fault with others, you can find fault with religion, and you can find fault with a lot of things, but you'll find no fault with God tonight. One of the writers said that he's altogether lovely. For he is the rose of share and the lily of the valley, the bright morning star. I mean, He is that living water that uh, quenches the thirst of a dry and barren soul. He is that bread, that manna that fell from heaven that uh, satisfies and sustains like uh, nothing else will. Uh, he is that friend that stands closer than a brother. He is the Lamb of God that take away the sin of the world. Uh, and I, when I get to talking about Him, I just get beside myself because there's none like Him tonight. I say, bless His holy name. Hallelujah. Well, I've been to church tonight already. Amen. I enjoy the good liberty uh, to stand and just be myself. Uh, a lot of times I feel inadequate, feel inept, because uh, of my dialect, being from, you know, Jamestown and backwoods. It's a glad day when I realized God called me to preach. Called me. It called me to make me like Brother Toby. Well, Brother Toby's a blessing. 
But I don't have to be as smart as he is. I don't have to be as articulate as he is. I just have to be me. And uh, i got to be clay. You have your Bibles tonight. I want to I wanna give you a thought the Lord has given me from a familiar text. From Joshua chapter number 6. <clears throat> Joshua chapter number 6. It is good to have many friends with us tonight from other places. And, uh, I'm honored that you're here. Uh, my nephew is, is with, I will make, no, I won't mention everybody, but I'll make note of him because if the Lord helps me preach, he's going to shout. And, uh, I make no apologies for, for that. And if that bothers you when I pray in a minute, you, you probably want to leave. But, uh, he's going, he, if, if nothing, if the Lord moves on him, he's, he's probably going to shout, may even run. And uh, don't let that make you nervous. Is that all right? So you pray for us tonight. God will help us stand while we read a few verses of the, of the Bible. We'll go to the Lord in prayer. God will help me. I'll give you what he's laid in my heart for this evening. The Bible said, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out. None came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when ye hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before God. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow in your presence again this evening, God, I'm so honored that you would meet with us as you already have in such an intimate way. And Lord, I believe tonight that from what's already been said and the songs that have been sung, that somebody could have received help. Somebody could have called on you. Somebody could have cast their care on you, Lord. They could have unloaded that burden tonight. And Lord, for whatever reason, they tarried. And God, I pray that, Lord, that as you continue to deal, that they would find a place in an altar or somewhere in this building, right? And Lord, they'd bow before you and call on your name. And Lord, whatever heaven is a heart they may have, Lord, I pray they spread it before you and they leave tonight a change by your grace. Lord, I pray most of all for one that might be lost, that Holy Ghost conviction would arrest their heart, illuminate their mind and soul. Lord, that they might call upon You. And Lord, tonight I pray for us that are saved. As the preacher has so well said tonight, there's none of us that are anything. Uh, There's none without sin. None can say that we have made our heart clean. God, tonight You can take through the Word of God and make and mold us into what You'd have us to be. So God, speak to each heart as only You can. Give us clearness of speech and boldness of speech. 
But above all else, give that, give us that unction. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There's several things that we can bring out from the text tonight. I know that this text is a what we would call a familiar text. Those that have been around church very long and if you've done a vacation Bible school or anything of that nature, you know the story about the walls of Jericho. Uh, it's it's one of my son's favorite stories. Uh, as I tell him about it, uh, he likes to hear about them walls falling down. His favorite part is to act out the shouting uh, and running around the house. But uh, there's a lot of things I could bring out and a lot of things that I could say, but I just want to simply preach along this line tonight on why Jericho has got to go. On why Jericho has got to go. If the Lord will help me uh, for a few minutes, I, I want us to identify some Jerichos in our life that God wants us to get rid of. As we look into the text, that I think we need to understand why it is that Jericho has to be destroyed. Why it has to go. Notice who it is that has surrounded the city. It is the people of God. The Bible said in verse 1 that the Jericho was straightly shut up because the children of Israel, none went out. And none came in. Uh, can you understand that this people is God's people? Uh, this is the people that, I mean, God sent Moses to down in Egypt uh, and said, let my people go. Uh, this is the one that Moses came with a message of deliverance to. Uh, this is the people uh, that had experienced divine miracles. Uh, this is the people uh, as Moses come out, uh, he stretched out his staff over the sea. Uh, and the waters parted and they went across on dry land. This is the people as they wandered in the wilderness. They never wandered outside of God's ability, of His provision and of His power. A manna rained down and the rock was smitten and waters flowed forth. And then God provided time and time again. Their shoes never wore out. That is the people I'm preaching of tonight. The people of God. And the people of God are headed to a place where God has promised. We notice the who and the where. They're headed to Canaan. A promised land. A land of abundance. It is a picture of the abundant Christian life. I know for a long time as a child, I'd hear folks talk about Canaan land as a picture of heaven. And if that's what you believe, I'm not trying to knock the props out of out of your songs. But all I'm saying is, is heaven ain't got no battles. Heaven ain't got no burdens. Heaven ain't got no giants. Amen. There ain't going to be no nobody defeated in heaven. It's a place of victory, a place of, of glory and the grace and presence of Almighty God. And there ain't no battles over there. Amen. But there are battles in the Christian life. God has for each of us a plan and a purpose. And God has a place of spiritual abundance that He desires for each and every one of us to dwell. But in the midst of that spiritual abundance, in that Canaan life that the Christians should enjoy, there's still battles. There's still burdens. 
There's still valleys. There's still adversaries. But that doesn't make God any less God. That doesn't make His promises or His provision or His power any less real. I think not only about the who and the where, but I think about what is between them and the place of promise. A great city. A walled city. A place that is secure. A place that is sustained. A place that is supplied. An enemy that has all of these things. Nobody's going in. Nobody's going out. They have everything they need to survive inside those walls. Their plan is to wait out the children of Israel. The enemy's plan is that they're going to get tired of doing what it is they're doing. And eventually they'll move on around us. And we'll still be here. There's no way they can come over our walls. There's no way they can come through our walls. There's no way they can come under our walls. And we have everything we need to outlast God's people. Man, isn't that the mindset of much of the world today? They think that what they have is enough to outlast who God's people are and what they can do. They think that if time goes on long enough that the church will just dissipate and fade out on the pages of history. They think the church is going down. They look at the number of people sitting on pews. They look at the number that are walking away from the faith and those that are not staying with God. And they think the church is on a downward spiral into a place where it'll never be able to recover. But I'm here to serve nerve and notice on the devil and his crowd and every demon this side of hell. The church ain't going down, friend. The church is going up. And if Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Amen. So I think about this. I think about what makes the enemy the enemy. What makes those inside the walls of Jericho the enemy? What makes our enemy our enemy? Would you agree we have enemies tonight? There's enemies of the cross. And if there are enemies of the cross and enemies of the Christ, Remember enemies of the Christian? What makes them an enemy is the Word of God. God said they had to go. It isn't that, uh, that Joshua said they had to go. It isn't that somebody else said, man, we need to go down there and talk with Jericho while we're passing. We might as well get them while we're passing. God said they, they've got to go. And I say what God labels as sin is sin. What God labels as wicked is wicked. What God labels as unholy and unrighteous is unholy and unrighteous. But not only is it the Word of God that makes His people an enemy, but it is the way of God. What I mean by that is it's the way that God wanted them to go. They're between, but they're standing in between of the people of God and the place that God would have them to go. And can I say tonight, anything that is in between you and the Lord is sin. Sin, Isaiah said, has separated you from your God. Sometimes the, the, the object of itself may not be sinful, but it's where you have placed that object in your heart and in your mind. It is not the action itself that is sinful, but it is the, the preeminence that it is placed in your life over the things of God that makes it wrong. Amen. Amen. 
I love to fish. I enjoy it. Love to hunt. Things of those that nature. Today, your pastor was so gracious, he took me and let me watch him catch fish. He's a blessing. And I enjoy, I enjoyed it. I had a great day. It was wonderful, relaxing. And uh, I, I enjoy fishing so much that I finally ended up buying me a boat back earlier uh, in the year. And uh, I, I bought a boat and we went fishing. And man, I got to go and fishing and go and fishing and go and fishing. And I, I started neglecting some things in my in my life. I, I, I have, I, I'm just weird. I'm peculiar. I, I have to, I have to have my alone time with God. If I'm going to preach and have power with God and feel His touch, then, then I can't just come in, I, I mean, out of the streets and off the world and just get in the pulpit and preach. I don't operate that way. You, you might, but I can't. I've got to get along with God and I've got to pray and I've got to get in that Bible and I've got to have my secret place and, and my time along with God and my meditation and that kind of, But you know what happened? That boat, that blessed fired boat, I mean, it was sitting there in the garage and I mean, if it's there, it needs to be run and you don't want it to, the engine will come up if you don't run it. And if you're going to run it, you might as well take some poles. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you're going to run all the way down the lake and put the boat in water, you might as well put a hook in the water. And if you're going to fish, you might as well fish until the fish start biting. If that means laying out all night, waiting on them to bite, well, I mean, whatsoever thou doest, do wholeheartedly less than the Lord. Problem is, all that sounds real good, but it's sin. It was sin in my life, sir. It was sin. And, and I had to, had to step away from those things. I had to walk away and say, all right, I've got to get my priorities back in a place. I've got to get back to where I'm meeting. And it's not a bass boat in the sin. Fishing poles aren't a sin. Crappie and largemouth bass and walleye and trout, they're not sinful. Amen. But they are if you put them before doing what God's called you to do. And that's what makes the enemy the enemy. Our problem is, is we're way too quick to label that which is, which we don't like. The enemy. And then talk about that which we love as something that ain't that bad. See, what I'm trying to do is get us to understand what, what the enemy is tonight and why the enemy is the enemy. It's not because I'm preaching it. It's not, it's not going to be tonight because I say it is wrong. It's going to be because the Holy Ghost preached your heart about something here in just a minute when I get to preaching. And when God begins to prick your heart and God begins to illuminate in your heart and your mind what is not right in your life, the priorities that are out of order, the, the things, whether the world would call it sin or not, whether your preacher would call it sin or not, whether somebody else would label it wrong or not, if God is shining His light and pointing His finger on it and saying, this has got to go, then Jericho has got to go. Why? Three things real quickly. I'll be fast. Number one, Jericho's got to go because the stakes of Jericho. What's at stake? The promise of God. Here, God has made a promise. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given unto thine hand Jericho. 
and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. He's saying, look what I've done for you. This enemy is already defeated. You already have victory. Just simply march according to my orders. And then do what I tell you to do. And this is yours. God has made His people a promise. You know, a lot of times, the reason that we do not enjoy many of the promises of our Bible, and the reason many of the promises of our Bible are not applicable in our life, is because we never engage the enemy. We never try to get Jericho to go. There's certain promises. If you want to live a life of peace and prosperity, pie in the sky, and all this Joel Osteen stuff. God help us. Can I name names in the pulpit here? It's too late. I done did, didn't I? I'll never forget. I was leaving church one time. And this little old lady, she's as sweet as she could be. She hugged my neck. Gave me a big sweet kiss on the cheek. said, you and Joel Osteen are my two favorite preachers. What a blessing. You see, I'm afraid, Brother Toby alluded to it, we don't want that firing experience. It's one thing for the Master's hands to be laid upon us and make us and mold us. It's one thing to have some flexibility about us and be able to trust that as He bends us, He will not break us. And as He, if He does break us, it's to put us back together and remove something from us that we don't need, but we don't like the firing. We don't like being put in the furnace. But the Bible tells us that the fiery trials of our faith will have us coming out on the other side and in precious and pure and purpose. And when I'm saying tonight is the reason many of us, we can't experience the promises of God is because we're not allowing the principles of God to reign in our life. His promise, God has put His promise at stake. He's put His precepts at stake. He's put His Word on the line. Do you understand that in your life, God has put His Word on the line? That when He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. That He's put His Word on the line. He, and God cannot lie. And if God said, hey, Lo, I'm with you always, then lo, He'll be with you always. And the writer said, If I'd ascend to heaven, thou there. And if I made my bed in hell, thou there. And then where could you go? That God is not. He goes before us. He stands behind us. He's the sure foundation underneath us. He's high and holy above us. And He lives within us. Where are you going to go to get away from God? He's put His Word on the line. So we see the stakes. But then notice the struggles. There's walls. The struggle of the walls. They're seemingly insurmountable. You can't go over them. You can't go under them. You can't go through them. Have you ever faced a wall in your life? Have you ever faced a wall in your ministry? Have you ever faced a wall in your marriage? Have you ever faced a wall in, in your finances, in your family, in your faith, in your flesh? Have you ever had walls there? Walls of failures? 
of failure that you just can't get over and you can't get under? You can't get through it? Have you ever had a wall of a foe that it seemed like no matter how many times you tried to get away from them, they were right there? No matter how many times you get away from it, it would creep its head back up. No matter how many times you try to run it out of your life and run it out of your mind, there it is again. A wall of fear. Oh my. A wall of fear. A wall of foes. A wall of failures. Too many times we look at our battle. We look at those walls like the army of Israel looked at Goliath instead of how David looked at his God. Too many times our eyes are on the temporary and we fail to recognize the eternal God that has saved us. And He has said that He would, He that had done a good work in you shall perform it. Not might perform it, not can perform it, not might or maybe or someday will, but He that did shall. And can I say the scene? There is not a wall that will stand before you that God is not able to bring down. Amen. We struggle with the walls in our life. Then we struggle not only with the wall, but the worth of the battle. Is it worth fighting? I thought about this. Maybe I'm crazy. Probably a good chance. There they are. There's this city. They've shut the gates. The walls are high and thick. Everything they need to Sustain life for months on end is on the inside. There is a group of nomads, travelers on the outside. There's children to be fed. There's women to be taken care of. There's men to be fed. Wouldn't take long with a group of people this side to go through all the things you had in store. Wouldn't take long with a group of people this size to, to, to go through and eat up and take care of all the provisions that have been made. Been real easy. This is, you know, what I'd do. If I, if I was in charge, I'd go up on the hill and I'd look. I was supposed to be over there. God's told me to go to that land, to this place. This is where I'm to dwell. Between me and there is a walled city. God tells him to walk around the city. As we walk around the city, I look, and on the back side of the city, I can see where I'm supposed to be. It'd be very easy for me to say, instead of us staying here to see these walls fall, why don't we just walk on and leave them in our tracks? Is it really worth fighting down at Jericho? Does Jericho really have to go? Why not just go around it and get it behind you? Is that not how we face many of the things we deal with in life? Here God is and He he puts this situation. He allows this wall to come before you. He, He illuminates this thing or position or place or whatever it may be. He puts it here and He says you need to deal with this. Sometimes it may be a cold word in the kitchen between a husband and a wife. I could address her tone. 
but there's an iron skillet there. I couldn't just let it go. His absenteeism. He says he loves you and he says he loves your family. But he spends more time out in the world than he does in there with his wife and his children. I'm going to say some pretty rough things. But I feel God pressing. Could be the attitude of a child, a teenager. Could be their desire to go with this or go with that or date this one or date that one. And we all know it's a whole lot easier just to act like it ain't happening than to fight with them about what's going on. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is going. Everybody else has one. It could be. Brother Toby, for me at times, it's been people that start slipping out of church. They miss a Sunday night. They miss a Wednesday night. And then they miss several meetings. And let's just be honest, there's nothing more awkward than you being the preacher calling somebody and saying, hey, why ain't you at church? You don't like receiving that call and I don't like making it. You're hoping I don't call and I'm hoping I don't have to. Why not just go around it? Why not just let it go? Why not just... It ain't really that big a deal. I mean, see, the thing is, when you go around it, but you don't get rid of it, it'll always be a part of your life. It'll always be creeping up from behind you and making itself known. We think the consequences of dealing with things is great, but it's far greater to ignore it. Is it worth it? But then notice this, the way. The way of the battle it is the way. So God says, all right, do it. And you say, okay, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to deal with it. I understand the walls are great, but you're greater. I understand that, that I could go around it, but you told me to tear it down. And so I'm willing to. How would you have me to do so? I want you to march around it six days. Don't say a word. What? I want you to march around it for six days and don't say a word. Keep the women quiet. Keep the kids quiet. Keep the women quiet. Keep the women quiet. Six days? Six days. I imagine there's somebody in the crowd thinking, why are we doing this? As they walk around, they're looking up holding their children, walking beside their families. They look it up and above them. The enemy is looking down. I don't like being looked down on to you. And the enemy's looking down and as, as God's people are looking up, undoubtedly in their mind, are they going to shoot us? Do they have arrows? Are they fixing to drop boulders on my babies? What, are the, what is the enemy about to do? God says, keep walking and be quiet. 
You see, sometimes we fail to realize in our obedience to what He is doing in our life, He is working to bring forth obedience in the life of others. When we are walking in God's will, His will is working out on the other side. I remember them old timers who talk about how they'd get a burden for somebody God had put somebody on their heart to go visit and, and to go talk to them. And, and so they'd gather up a bushel of taters or, or something. They'd I'd throw them over on the mule and they'd go down up to the neighbor's house and knock on the door. And when they knocked on the door inside would be a mama and a daddy amen, praying that God would send provision. God would deal with them about going to see some sinner and they'd get there and they'd already be under Holy Ghost conviction. Can't you imagine? I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be looking up. But imagine what it's like to be looking down. What are they doing? Why aren't they saying something? Why aren't they being violent? Why, why aren't they acting erratic? Why aren't they trying to get through the wall? Somebody go check and make sure that, that no, no gate's been opened. So maybe this is a distraction. Somebody go look and, and make sure everything's still alright. Check the back side of the wall. Make sure that the, make sure not, nothing's failed. Make, you know what I love? I love when the power of God starts moving in the people of God and the world just can't figure it out. Why in the world? I mean, it's in people down there so happy. Why is in the world it's in people down there so content? Why do they keep beating Sunday after Sunday? Sunday night after Sunday night? Wednesday night after Wednesday? Don't they know there's a pandemic? Don't they know they can stay home? Don't they know nobody think nothing about it? Hey, it's election night. Why aren't you watching? I mean, seeing in the Fox News and popping nerve pills. I'll tell you why. Because there's a God on the throne. And He said, walk. And you came to the house of God. The world's just as scared of us, if not more than we are them. You knock on somebody's door to give them a gospel track, man, they break nervous. Who is it? I knocked on one, one man's door one time. He said, Penny, it's a raid. I said, no, it's the preacher. Don't make sense. Six days walk. Don't say a word. Okay, Lord. Seventh day rolls around. What are we going to do today? Today's the day of victory. Today's the day. What are we going to do? We're going to shout. Shout. That's all you got? We ain't gonna shoot nothing. We're gonna blow nothing up. No, just shout. Just shout. March around. When the point of time comes, roll the trumpets. Shout. You know what they did? Marched. Shouted. Walls fell. You see, the way sometimes Way seems way, way too much. Well, we can't do that. We can't, we can't march for six days and be quiet. We, we just, we can't. Lord, that's too much. You're asking too much of us. Six days? You want us to do nothing? How many times has something happened in your life? In the flesh, you wanted to respond, but God said, no, don't do anything. 
You know what I found? I found if I'll just wait and let him do it, it's a whole lot better than what me, what I can do. Sometimes what we want to do, what, what God asks us to do, seems to be too much, but sometimes it seems to be too little. You mean you want us to shout? Yeah. I want you to shout. And the thing is tonight, for some of you, what God is asking you to get rid of, the Jericho that God has pointed to in your heart and pointed to in your home and pointed to in your life, what God is, is saying, that's your Jericho. I don't know what it is, but in your mind, it's already flashing. You've already labeled it. And God is saying, here's your Jericho. And tonight, and whether it's great or small, sin or just something simple, I mean, for some of you, it seems too great. Lord, I can't do that. For others of you, it seems something small and insignificant. That really doesn't matter. But it matters to God. And if it matters to God, it should matter to you. Why? Because of the stakes. Because of the struggles. But Jericho's got to go because of the seriousness of what Jericho represents. You go down to chapter number 7. After one of the greatest victories the children of Israel would ever experience, marching around the walls and the walls come falling down. Chapter 7 starts with a great big but. But the children of Israel committed a trespass and the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, <coughs> the tribe of Judah, took the cursed thing. The anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. We go on and we read in the text that God <coughs> has Joshua to bring them before him and Achan comes before him and he has to admit to what he has done, what he has taken, the accursed thing. Because of what he has done, he dies, his family dies, everything everything he owns is burnt, killed, and done away. He loses everything. What I'm trying to get you to understand tonight is that thing that you think is simply just a wall that you can walk around and it's no big deal. As God says, it's a Jericho and it's got to go. I think about Achan's actions. Why did he do what he did? Do you ever do that when somebody, when somebody makes a mistake or gets out of the will of the Lord? You see somebody fall? You think, why did they do that? You know they know better. You, you, you know that, that they knew that, that they wouldn't get by with that. I mean, God ain't gonna let them by. What was they thinking? I think about Aiken in that light. I try to make excuses for him as I was thinking about him. I thought, well, maybe, maybe he was wanting to provide for his family. He's headed into a land he's never been before. He's facing enemies that seem greater than, than anything they had ever come before. Maybe he thinks, well, if I'll just take a little bit of this gold and a little bit of this silver and I take this garment 
It's really, nobody's gonna miss it. Nobody, nobody's gonna know it's gonna be gone. It's not that really, it's really not that big a deal. And when I get to where I'm supposed to be, then I'll be able to do something great. You see, God don't want you to get rid of Jericho ten years from now. God's wanting you to get rid of Jericho tonight. God's not wanting you to hide in your tent, tuck it in your car, put it back in your pocket. God's telling you tonight, Jericho's got to go. And whatever your motive is for trying to keep it, it won't suffice. Jericho has got to go. I think about his actions. I think about his attitude. I'd say, I'd say Aiken was one of those when they were walking around in silence. He was saying, why are we having to be quiet? This is so silly. Why do, why do I have, why does the preacher expect me to be at revival meeting? Why does he think I need to be at Sunday school? Why does he want me to read my Bible? Why does he keep telling me I need a prayer life? Why is he warning me about her? Why is he warning me about him? Why is he telling me to guard against this? Why is he telling me to turn this off? It ain't that big a deal. He's the one saying, why are we being quiet? And then he said, why are we shouting? What's a preacher so mad about? Don't he know that it's 2020? You better believe I know it. Thing is, God says Jericho's got to go. Your attitude about it doesn't change, doesn't change his affection for you and what he knows is best for you in your life. And the aftermath of Jericho is this. Israel goes from one of its greatest victories to one of its greatest defeats, all because one man believed Jericho didn't have to go. You think that your sin doesn't affect nobody else. Who does this preacher think he is tonight to come in here? Oh, hillbilly hat from up in Jamestown. Preaching on all this mess. I'll do what I want to do and live how I want to live. You go on, sir. You go on, ma'am. Go ahead and you do that. But it ain't just going to affect you. It's going to affect all those that love you and all those that are near you. All those that are supposed to be in the line of your life. Later on! Jericho was a place. Jericho was a people. Jericho was a possession. And I want to say tonight, there's some places that God may be wanting you to stop going. There's some people God may want out of your life. There's some possessions you just may not be mature enough to have. And if that's the case, Jericho has got to go. Everybody stand. Every head, every head bowed, every eye closed. Preacher, come on. I wonder tonight. Bible said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Reality is every one of us tonight's got a Jericho, if we're willing to admit it.
Are you willing to bring it to Him and say, here it is, Lord. You can have it. Here it is, Lord. Here's my Jericho. It's so great, I can't make it fall. My adversary is so large, I can't defeat it. I'm bringing it to you tonight. God spoke to your heart. I encourage you to come.